So I actually have this amazing experience where I have three of my favorite silver-headed people in one room. And, and one of them lives in England, one of them lives in Durban, and one of them lives in Cape Town. So that's very rare that that will happen. And, uh, and yet it is happening. I've got my dad over there, who's an <laughs> absolute machine of a man, absolutely love him. We've got Rigby uh, sitting in this row, uh, sort of front middle row, and then Terry and Wendy, who are here with us. And uh, Wendy, I'm sort of bringing you in, assimilating you with <laughs> Terry as I talk about my favorite three silver-headed people. And um, Terry is uh, so graciously said yes to being here to preach and be with us. And um, I've always had the privilege of reading Terry's books and watching his life and ministry from a distance. And over the last two years, got to spend some more face-to-face time and really watch um, the way he ministers and does uh, life in the gospel. And um, the closer I've got, the more I've started to go, when I'm big, I want to be like that. And uh, really, I'm not just flattering you. I'm really grateful for your life and your ministry. And we as a church have benefited so much from books you've written, messages you've said and shared, and uh, and encouragements that you brought to all of us. And we really are just so grateful um, for you. I know you're from Brighton, and I think you guys are fifth from relegation. Um, So that's a bit of a scary one. So we've got a lot to pray for for Terry. His team is on the edge of going down off the Premier League. But... um, why don't you come up and join us, and uh, I'll share a... Let's give him a round of applause. One of my favorite stories, um, Charles Spurgeon tells the story. He was, a, he was a young guy, and he was preaching, and his granddad was in the audience. And his granddad came to him afterwards, and he said, Charles, I heard you well today. And um, I love that story because it wasn't the pressure on Charles to be the world's greatest preacher. It was the pressure he put on himself to be a great listener and to listen with his head and to listen with his heart. And I genuinely think God has something for us every Sunday. I think he has something specifically special for us today. But it's not Terry's pressure. It's our pressure. Will we be like Charles Spurgeon's granddad who listened and heard well today? I hope we can be that. I'd love to give Terry another round of applause whilst he opens his Bible. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. I've so enjoyed worshiping songs I didn't know, but so centered in Jesus and what he's done for us. I was absolutely thrilled to uh, enter into that, and it's a joy to be in this beautiful meeting place uh, with such a great company. So thank you for your warm welcome. Uh, We're looking forward to a a full week with Common Ground over these uh, next few days. It was a joy to be in your company, maybe among some of the other sites a year ago and to get introduced uh, to this people. I've known Rigby and Sue for many years, but never had the privilege before of getting in among you. And uh, it's been a massive joy to me, tremendous uh, provocation. I've learned so much uh, just being in your setting. I pray you'll be blessed here this morning. I'm going to be reading a short passage and then speaking from 2 Timothy, and I'll read just the opening passage of 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing 
to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us in your Son. We do truly celebrate the wonder of who he is. We celebrate the grave could not hold him. He's greater than any grave, greater than any king. Lord Jesus, we honor you. We magnify your name. And we bless you, Father, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we just ask you right now, Father, according to your promise, that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we're asking you right now, Father, for the Holy Spirit to come, be our teacher, rest upon us. We lean into you. Come fill our sail. Come anoint our ears to hear. Come and do, Lord, what mere words cannot do by your presence, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this letter is a very affectionate letter from Paul to this man. He calls his son in the Lord. And although, of course, he speaks of his grandmother and his mother, he's not a natural son to Timothy, but he feels like he is a son to him because he's labored with him. He's become a co-laborer with him. And he's a younger guy and now has the responsibility of representing the Apostle Paul, which often happened. Paul would send him. He's like, if you like, an apostolic delegate. Times when Paul couldn't, couldn't go, he said, I'm sending Timothy. Timothy's coming on my behalf. And uh, he would write that outwardly to people. I'm sending Timothy. He says that in Philippians in chapter 2. I'm sending Phil, uh, Timothy. But here's a kind of inside track. He's speaking to Timothy himself. And he's giving him a commission which I would suggest would be rather scary for a younger guy. Uh, because who wants to represent the Apostle Paul? And that's quite a call. It's one thing representing perhaps someone not very effective or very important, but, hey, I'm representing Paul. Uh, you're here on Paul's behalf. That's a pretty scary thing to be, and uh, that's what he had to be. He's there because Paul couldn't be there. He's there to do some specific things. And to be honest, the challenge, I've been looking through First and Second Timothy to see the responsibilities that Paul laid on him, and they're no mean task. He doesn't just say, I'll preach a few sermons. He's telling him to get very involved with these people's lives. And I've looked at some of the things he's told to do. He's told to represent Paul. He's told, look, instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines. Well, you know, people don't necessarily like to be instructed when they've got a bee in their bonnet and a doctrine they like to share. No, you've got to instruct them, Timothy. You've got to make sure that they keep clear. They're lined up with apostolic doctrine because truth is so important. So, Timothy, go and represent me in that way. He says in another place, uh, confront wrong attitudes to the law. You have to teach these people, some of whom have come out of Jewish background, that we're no longer under law, we're under grace. 
And sometimes people get very upset about that, excited about that, stirred about that. I remember once years ago, I was preaching in Spain and preaching through Romans where Paul explicitly says, we're not under law, we're under grace, and preaching about this. And as I was preaching, a man stood up in the, pool, in the congregation and said, I've never heard anything so outrageous in all my life. I thought, wow, that's a bit different. I've never had that before. And, you know, sometimes people hold to things tenaciously. What do you mean, not under law? No, no, the Bible says quite plainly we're in the new covenant, a new relationship with God that is not legalistic. It's not law-bound. And Paul says, remember, the law is good. Remember, it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. The law carries on speaking. Jesus said it will never pass away. But he told the saints, you've died to the law. Now that you live to Christ, a completely new relationship, Timothy, make clear, make clear. Lay it and nail these things down. He's also told them to all sorts of difficult issues he has to do. Sort out male-female issues. That's still very delicate, even today. What are women allowed to do? What are men allowed to do? Don't really want to go there. That's a difficult one. And then another one, it says, uh, treat the widows who are true widows. The widows who are true widows. And what does that mean? What does that mean going down the line? God bless you, my dear widow. God bless you, my dear widow. Uh, I don't think you're a true widow. I mean, <laughs> how, how do you handle that? I mean, that's really tough. And then it says, and tell the rich not to be conceited. Well, rich people don't like to be told not to be conceited. But Paul's host to Timothy, do that, do that. Don't just preach a few sermons. Tell rich people, don't be conceited. Put your faith in God. Oh, gosh, Tim, this is a hard task you've got here. And then, by the way, do the work of an evangelist. Thank you, Paul. Come on, Paul. Give us a chance. I mean, what a task the poor guy has. And so I can imagine that Timothy might have felt rather overwhelmed. I mean, this is a huge task. It's a, maybe I feel it's beyond me. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, because, to be honest, we often feel a bit out of our depth as Christians, just to live out the Christian life. We sometimes feel like it's like God's asking too much of me. Can I do it? Can I keep it up? And when I first heard about the gospel, I, I come from a completely non-Christian background. My parents did not become Christians till much, much later. In their 70s, they became Christians. But I thought, well, if I do, if I take this on board, will I be able to keep it up? Can I live a... I mean, my life is so ungodly. Can I now live a completely different life? And sometimes we feel that it's a big call on me. And so we're looking at this story because Timothy had a big call on him. That's the first thing, the challenge he faced. And the second thing I want to notice here is the limitations he specifically felt. The limitations in his own personality. There's a challenging call, some tough things to do, but hey, in myself, he's saying, let no one despise your youth, Timothy. In other words, the guy's too young for the job. It's like, well, I'm not sure I could do this. I'm too young. Now, in, I hope I can encourage some here this morning because the, the commentators would say, you know, this is Second Timothy. This is probably Paul's last letter just before he was martyred for the faith. This is his last letter. And probably he's been with Timothy for some years, to be honest. And if you sort of calculate back to when he saw him as a young man, drew him near, worked with him, Timothy by this time is probably about 40 years of age. 
So can I encourage some of you, young guys of 40-ish, don't let anyone despise your youth. Isn't that encouraging? So you can be 40 and far too young, especially in this culture, this Jewish culture background, where elderly people, our silver hairs, were particularly honored. That was part of the culture, not so much today, but it was in that time. And Timothy looks maybe, hey, he's too young for this, too inexperienced. Again, we may not feel, well, I'm, you know, even when you're older, you can feel, I don't know as much as I'd like to. I begin to speak to someone in the workplace about Jesus, and they start asking questions. Gosh, I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I've got all the answers. I, I just don't. I, it makes me keep my head down because, I don't know, if I got into a conversation, I'd, I'd soon come unstuck. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. He's feeling vulnerable. Next thing I see about him is he's timid. We read, let no one despise your youth. We also say, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, Timothy. We just don't say that for no reason. It must be because Timothy's inclined to be timid. It's his personality. We sometimes think that leaders, people called into ministry, that, that Paul would look around and say, wow, what a sparky guy. He's going to be a leader. Let me get him alongside me. I mean, boy, he would be a leader in education. He'd be a leader in politics. He'd be a lead, leader in industry. Oh, you're a born leader. Do you know it's not the way it tends to be in the Bible? It really isn't. You find again and again God calling people that you think, well, he doesn't really look the part. He doesn't look like your alpha male. God calls Gideon, and Gideon says, oh, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. My father's house is nobody, and I'm least in my father's house. And God says, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. You get that terrific list in, in 1 Corinthians where it says, God has not chosen many wise. He's not chosen many noble. He's not chosen many mighty. It says he's chosen the foolish. You know, if you've got a degree here, you're lucky you got in at all. He hasn't chosen many. It says in the Bible, hasn't chosen many wise, just a few. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many who've got, I've got contacts, I've already proved my, no, God chooses somehow. He even goes down this spiral in 1 Corinthians, it ends with this, God has chosen the things that are not. We can't get any lower than not. It's an incredible list, not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble, not many, he, says, just, he chooses the ones that are not. You get that wonderfully illustrated when Jesse, who's the father of a number of children, is told by Samuel, the national prophet, I mean, the man of the generation, Samuel's coming to our house. He wants to see all my sons. One of them's going to be significant. Wow, what a day this is. So Samuel comes into the home because Saul has lost the plot. King Saul, it's all over for him. God is looking for the next king. And Samuel walks in, he sees Eliab, who's a great big guy. He's just about, and God says, no, that's not the one. You're looking at the outward, God's looking on the heart. Okay, it's not him. He goes down the line. <laughs> I've seen all seven. And we all know seven's the perfect number. I've seen all seven. It's not one. Is there another one? Is there another one? And Jesse says, there's one looking after the sheep. He doesn't even say David, doesn't name him. It's his son. It's one looking after the sheep. The one who was not. God looks for the one who's not. 
And David, the one who's not, it says he chooses the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. And Mr. Goliath is about to be brought to naught by this great, amazing thing that God chooses frail people, actually. People are not very impressed with themselves. People who think, wow, what have I got to give? There's difficulty with the strong. You find Moses starts very strong. I'll sort things out for you, God. I'll sort this whole deal out for you. It's like he's in the palace. His Bible says he's mighty in word and deed. The guy's strong. He's in the palace. He sees an Egyptian mistreating a Jew because that kills him. Then goes out the next day. There's two Hebrews arguing with one another. Knocks their head. What are you doing, your brothers? And they say, who do you make you a ruler over us? And Moses runs for his life. Runs for his life. And then 40 years he's in the wilderness doing nothing. And God comes and calls him. He says, I can't speak. Don't, tell, don't send me, I can't speak. At the beginning it says he was mighty in word and in deed. Too strong for God. Too strong for God. I know when I was a young guy, the church I'd just been saying, they used to have a missionary week every, every year, missionary week. And at the end, they make this song we used to sing, just as I am, young, strong, and free, to be the best that I can be. That's the song we used to sing. It really appeals to the flesh. Just as I am, young, strong, and free. <laughs> you know, you, then they make the appeal. Yes, okay, I'll come forward. Just as I am, young, strong, and free. It's like Moses did to God. Just as I am, young, strong, and free. God said, yeah, thank you. I'll see you in 40 years. When you're saying, I can't speak. See, God, God does use strong people, but he tends to weaken them. Like Jacob, he puts a limp in them. Jacob was a bit of a crook. God said, no, we're going to use you. I, actually, I love you. He loved Moses as a little baby, cared for him. It wasn't that God disqualified him. He just had to do some stuff in him. So he'd have to depend on God. And Timothy was, yeah, he's inclined to be timid, inclined to be timid. That was true of Moses, it was true of Jeremiah. I'm too young, Jeremiah. I said, because I know I'm calling you. I'm calling you. But it says this, I've, in, in, in Philippians 2, it says, I've got no one like him who's genuinely concerned for you. So there's internal things that drew Paul's attention to him. And also, thirdly, He's weak. He's frequently sick. It says in 1 Timothy 5 and 23, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent illnesses. I mean, this guy is too young, he's scared, and he's often ill. Are you sure you've got the right guy? Are you sure you've got the right guy? He's frequently ill. You can get an image about yourself when you're frequently ill. You think, oh, didn't I seem to catch everything that's going around? This is the Timothy that he calls. Now, what I want to bring us to here is the provision he had. Okay, so we've seen the, the challenge he was given represent Paul with all this to do. <gasps> Secondly, the guy he chose, well, he's too young, he's scared, and he's often sick. So what's the answer to all this? What is the answer? Well, how can you do it? Well, I want to look particularly then and really emphasize this verse. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on 
of my hands. All right? Timothy, you've had an experience. I laid hands on you. Paul laid hands on him. Paul laid hands on him. And he said, you have this gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. There's a gift God's given you. You have within you something that's come from God. Now, don't, as he says earlier in the epistle, don't neglect. Don't neglect. Do you know, it's an amazing thought that it's possible to have an extraordinary experience of the Spirit coming upon us, and maybe you celebrate the day it happened. Oh, I was in that meeting, and the guy laid hands on me. And, wow, I'll never forget it. And this is Paul. I mean, it's not like, well, I don't know who he was. He laid hands on me, but it, this is the Apostle Paul. You think, wow, that'll set you up for life. And Timothy is in danger of neglecting it. Neglecting what God's given. And that's saying to us, dear brothers and sisters, that we have a responsibility in this, which we'll come to at the end, really. Fan into flame. And what was he saying? Fan into flame the gift that it, of God that is in you. And I felt when I was looking at this passage, God seemed to say to me, look, look at every phrase. Don't miss any phrase here. It's a, a gift. That's, that's the first thing. That's the first thing. The gift. I think we often think that to be full of the Holy Spirit is a kind of reward for good work. He's, Lord, please make me more holy so that I somehow then deserve more of this gift. Now, I don't think we would articulate that. We wouldn't say that out loud. But there's this kind of inclination in us to think that everything's on a kind of reward basis. But if you do well, you get more. If you, are, you, get, you get it as a result, it's like reward. It's what you earn. Because that's kind of in us. Work to earn. But the gospel is so incredibly different. It's grace. It's gift. It's kindness. And, and the answer to this frail guy is the gift of God. And he mustn't forget it. He needs to fan it into flame. He has a responsibility that we'll come to to fan it into flame. Because God has given him adequate power. In spite of this task, in spite of his apparent weakness, God has given him adequate power through the laying on of Paul's hands. Enough. Paul's confident. You've got enough. No, it's not in you, Timothy. We know all about you. It's other than you. Now, you remember how Jesus spoke to the apostles at the end of the ministry, the wonder of the three years with him. At the end of which, to be honest, they are not very impressive guys. Three years with Jesus. Later on, John could say, the life was manifested. We beheld his glory. I mean, every day with Jesus, imagine. The wisdom, no man ever spoke like this man. The miracles, the storm, shush. <gasps> wow, who is he? We've been singing, oh, show me who you are. That's a question we'll keep asking all our lives. Show me who you are. To know him, to know him. It's Paul's passion. In Philippians, he said, everything else is unimportant. I want to know him. I want to know him better. He said, oh, I received Jesus. No, come on. There's a knowing of him. We spoke, heard earlier about Aslan. <gasps> to know him, to know him. But these guys were with him for three years. At the end, they're still a mess. I mean, they kept on getting it wrong. The Gospels are really quite humorous how often they get it wrong. And at the end, 
at the crunch point. Not only Peter denied, but they all ran away. Every one of them, they all ran away. And yet these same guys had the testimony within a short period of time, a few chapters in our Bible, they're turning the world upside down. How did that come about? How did that come about? Well, it's there in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses. In Luke 24, don't start, don't start until you receive power. There's a coming upon of power that changes. I mean, Peter, this guy who's, no, I don't with him, I'm not with him. And the woman said, but you've got a northern accent like him. You come from Galilee. You're, you're from, the, hey, you're with Jesus. No, I don't know him. And it says he cursed and swore and said, I don't know him. A few weeks later, he's in central Jerusalem saying, you crucified the Lord of glory. And God raised him up, of which we're witnesses. He now exalted the right hand of the Father, has poured out this, this coming upon of the Spirit. These guys were transformed, absolutely transformed, by the coming upon of the Spirit. Just changed them, absolutely changed them. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't forget this, this gift that I, that I imparted to you through the laying on of my hands. We haven't got time to go into that, how that occurs again and again in the book of Acts, but... Hey, Timothy, you've had that. You've had that coming upon of the Spirit. It's possible. Oh, yeah, that happened to me back in, I don't know, about 2010 maybe. I had, some of you may say that. Oh, I remember, yeah. But hey, did that change? Are we living in that? Are we fanning that into flame? Or is that an experience? Oh, it's a kind of high in my life. I remember back in such and such. Maybe it was some, some guy laid hands on me. I remember that. It was a kind of high and Paul is saying to Timothy, come on, we don't want a high that is fading into your history because it's enough for you. Timothy, I know you're scared, I know you're weak, I know you're young. This is enough for you. Don't neglect it. So it's the gift. It's a gift, dear friends. It's not something we've earned. It's something from God other than ourselves. Now, I tend to think that people... Christians, I've been around a long time. Christians tend to think of people who are kind of spirit-filled, and that word charismatic has been used, it's used all over the place now. They talk about a, you know, a comedian or a singer or uh, an actor. Oh, it's very charismatic. What we mean usually is kind of got an extrovert personality, he's kind of free and happy, he's charismatic. It really means a gift of God. That's what the literal word means. Charisma is a gift of God. And it's other than ourselves. As I said earlier, God tends to choose people like Gideon. Gideon is scared. He's hiding in a cave. That's when we first meet Gideon. And God comes to him and says, you mighty warrior. Huh? They clothes him with the spirit. And he leads 300 soldiers against tens of thousands and wins. What? How did you? Well, the Spirit came upon him. And so, Timothy, yeah, you've had this experience, Timothy. It's the gift of God. It's not, it's not you. It's other than you. I think we often think that somehow it's to do with my personality. You know, we're outward, we're personality, yeah, we're made that way. No, no, it's not like that. I remember once I was at the National Gallery in London. 
And very often they do this on this occasion. They had two quite famous paintings of Samson and Delilah. And they're putting the two paintings next to one another. I can't remember who painted them. It's maybe Renoir or something. That was one. I've forgotten who the other one was. And they're the same picture. And the picture is Delilah sitting with Samson kind of sprawled over her, over her lap, kind of sleeping. And she's got the scissors. That's the painting. I mean, she's not doing this to the camera, as it were. They're ancient paintings. But in both cases, it's Delilah cutting Samson's head. And around this, in the art gallery, there are notes, you know, notice this, notice this. But one thing they did not point out, which was a massive error in both paintings, was what? Samson was the most muscular guy you could ever see. He had muscles on his muscles. I mean, that's, that's what you think. You think of Samson, he's just huge. I remember many years ago when Hollywood did Samson and Delilah. They did the film. They, they chose a guy called Victor Mature, who at that time was about the most muscular actor. You know, difficulty walking, had so many muscles. And he plays Samson, of course, of course. But that's the whole point of the story. Which we, I think, How can we miss it? Samson, where does your strength come from? You know, you don't ask Arnold Schwarzenegger, where does your strength come from? You pump those irons, pump those irons. No, he's, the, the thing is, hey, how come you, how are you so strong? What's the deal? It's a mystery. What's the deal? Isn't that what it's all about? And yet we think, oh, Samson must have been a big... No, he wasn't a big, tough guy. He had a gift other than himself. And there was a mystery attached to it. It wasn't that he was strong in himself, dear friends. And that's what the Bible's all about. It's telling us God chooses the weak things and the things that are not. God delights in doing that. But, you know, if you weren't going to open up a big international business, you wouldn't think, yeah, you look terrible. You can take over Singapore. You are awful. Go to Brazil. You know, let's open up the world with these pathetic people. You know, where's the success? But the Bible plainly says God chooses the weak, the things that are not, like Gideon, Jeremiah, Timothy, Moses. I don't speak. You know, these... And, and what does he do? He changes the world through them. And beloved, why am I sharing this? Because so often we feel, I don't know, I've got what it takes. How can I witness to the guy at work? How can I speak to that lady at the, at the, at the school gate? If I, if I speak, oh, maybe I'll come unstuck. I don't know. I'm not one of those extroverts. I haven't got it. And some of us, we just close down on ourselves. And Timothy's in that danger. Because that's where he comes from. And Paul is saying, now come on, fan it into flame. You have a gift in you. That's enough. It's enough. I guess the day Paul laid hands on him, he might have thought, oh, what was that? But the days have slipped by, the days have slipped by, the days have slipped by. He's in danger of neglecting the gift. It's a gift. It's not what we deserve. You see, Samson doesn't look like he's a guy who deserves anything. Have you noticed that? Samson is not a very impressive guy. He's not like David. David, the spirit comes on David. He, he, he deals with a lion with his bare hands. 
David took on a lion. David took on a bear. But David also got to know God. It's a beautiful life. Psalms and beautiful songs about God. He loves to be in his house. He loves to be where God is. That's his chief joy. Samson, no, he likes other stuff. It nowhere says that the power on Samson became demonic. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say that anywhere. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, ultimately, God says, enough. Deals with him. And then actually even finds grace at the end. But it's, never, it's always God's power. Why? Because it's a gift. He doesn't deserve it. That's the whole nature of gifts. You don't deserve it. Like Simon and Peter, wow, he must have been so special to get such an anointing. No, a few weeks ago, he said, I don't know Jesus, I'm not with him, curse, swear. Wow, he's pretty special. No, he's hopeless. God gives the Holy Spirit to hopeless people. Let's take advantage of it, shall we? Let's take advantage of it. It's a gift. I remember once uh, Wendy and I were living in the States for two years, and one of my sons, I've got four sons and a daughter, and one of my sons, who, to be honest, was my tenderest son, he came to Jesus young. He actually was filled with the Spirit, he'd been baptized. I mean, he was really a faithful witness at school. He led other boys to Christ. I mean, he was a real joy. And we moved to the U.S., and I won't go into the background of it all, but he lost the plot suddenly. And began to drift, and I didn't do terribly well as a father, I must confess. I didn't see it happening until it was kind of too late. And I thought, well, he's, you know, I just took him for granted because he was so bright before we moved. And then he got distant, more and more distant. And he actually got into uh, what I would call grunge music. I mean, it wasn't just rock and roll. It was really, you know, his real heroes. You have to, in order to be a real hero of his, you had to commit suicide. You know, so he had these pictures on his walls. They said, this guy, yeah, he's dead, but great guy. And this guy, he's dead. Oh, God, what is this? It was real grunge. It was dark. The words were dark. The music was heavy. I thought, oh, my boy, what's happening to him? And he used to play music in the house that made the whole house shake. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And I go to him. I say, Simon, please, Simon, just turn it down. Okay. And I walk down. As I'm walking down the corridor, oh, grief. It was terrible. And then one day, his machine broke. Hallelujah. It broke. It broke. And of course, he hasn't got two cents to rub together. So it's finished. It's finished. And I'm thrilled. It's all over. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm in a prayer meeting in Kansas City with a group of pastors. And I'm worshiping and praising. And I hear a voice say to me, buy Simon a new CD player. And I say, I bind that thought. I bind that. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, God said, no, it's me. It's me. Buy it. I thought, oh, Lord. And it came so insistent, honestly, it was so insistent that I went to the store before I went home. I went and bought it on the way home to where we were living. And I went to Simon and said, Simon, uh, this is for you. <laughs> so he opened it up. Oh, Dad, thanks, thanks. He put it on, put the CD in it, turned it up. Boom, 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 boom. And, and I think, I thought that would happen. And it's not like the next day he repented. No, he didn't. He, didn't, he came back to God about five years later. I mean, he's wonderfully walking with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But, I mean, he took a gift because it's a gift. 
It wasn't a reward. He's in a bad place. But it's a gift. Gifts are not rewards. And he didn't know how to play with it. He could have put some Beethoven on. Or some Dave Brubeck. You know, some really nice stuff he could have put on. He didn't know what to do with this gift. It's a gift of God. And dear friends, we just need to understand this. The Holy Spirit and associated gifts are not rewards. And they're not even proofs. Wow, he's a powerful man. He must know a lot. No, don't always know a lot. That's probably worthy. No, no, no. It's almost like, if I can say it this way, God works down two channels with us. Please don't misunderstand me now, because what I'm saying is kind of dangerous. God works down two channels. Gifts are free. They're gifts. Not rewards for holiness, 